from Genesis chapter 39. And we've uh, read the chapter, but we want to draw attention to uh, linked with prosperity, you know, which we've already been thinking about, linked, uh, uh, we thought at the beginning, linked with prosperity, it's not exempt from suffering. So these two uh, things brought together, but also linked with prosperity is um, being under authority, right? This is what it says uh, in verse uh, 4, then he, that's Potiphar, made him overseer of his house and all that he had he put under his authority. Uh, it's a main theme of this, uh, of, this, of this chapter for sure, this concept of being under authority. Um, you know, we already thought about you know, this distinction in the, in the uh, first chapter, in chapter 37, the first chapter we looked at, when the brother said to the father, when the brother said to the father, uh, we don't know if this is your son's coat. Not, we don't know if this is our brother's coat. We don't know if this is your son's coat. So what's missing is, is relationship. Well, that's here, uh, that's here in this passage further on. Uh, uh, let me see here. Uh, uh, verse 16. So she, uh, this, is, this is Potiphar's wife. So she kept his garment, that's Joseph's garment, with her until, notice this, his master came home. You notice that? His master. Uh, now, we're not saying that husbands are masters over their wife, but there is a missing relationship here, right? Uh, do you think Potiphar believed his wife? Do you think he did? No. How do you, how do you know that? Huh? Well, hey... Okay, well maybe about that. Do you think Potiphar was a pushover? He is a beast of a man, right? Yeah. You know, sometimes people say, um, they say this, well, you know, no, Potiphar, uh, Joseph didn't, didn't, didn't steal Potiphar's wife because um, he was afraid of Potiphar. Uh, we say, well, potentially that's possible. Potiphar would have been a beast of a man. Right? I mean, there's no question about that. He was the captain, uh, the captain of Pharaoh's guard, right? He was, he was, he would have been a machine. And so, uh, you know, Joseph says, "I fear the Lord. Um, I fear the Lord. That's why I'm doing the right thing. I realize that all sin is before the Lord, and so that's why I'm doing the right thing." People say, "Well, actually, he's probably just afraid of Potiphar." Well, we know that it actually was what Joseph said. He was a fearing the Lord because. Uh, when when Pharaoh when Pharaoh raised Joseph to power, he was second in the kingdom. You know who would have bowed his knee to Joseph? Potiphar would have, right? Only Pharaoh was above Joseph, and even then, Joseph still did the right thing. You know, so this concept of those that are going to reign, you know, this concept of uh, of glory, uh, glory. Uh, before coming glory comes suffering. And so we see that in, in Joseph's life. And jo Joseph was a man who was under authority. 
And, and you know, some have ably said, only those who are under authority will be given authority. And I suggest to you that um, this is a major theme of not just the life of Joseph. This is a major theme of the Bible. Being under authority. Okay? And that it's connected with prosperity. Biblical prosperity. Again, we, we emphasize this idea that biblical prosperity is not wealth, right? I'm not saying it's not, it could be connected with that, but biblical prosperity is the prosperity of the soul, right? And so this is what Joseph, he can experience this uh, even in, this, in these circumstances in which he's in. So uh, let's think about this idea of under authority and turn uh, to the New Testament. Turn to um, Mark's gospel, no, sorry, Luke's gospel. Let's turn to chapter 8. No, uh, Luke chapter 7. Thinking of this, this, this principle of under authority, being under authority. Uh, one of the only times... One of the only times in the Gospels where faith is commended by the Lord Jesus. You know, sometimes we think of uh, trivia. You know, how many times did the Lord Jesus uh, commend somebody for their faith? Well, I think the uh, experts will tell us maybe only two times, right? Have you heard that? Is that what you've heard, John? Two times? Yeah, a man and a woman, both Gentiles, neither a Jew, right? Neither of them were Jewish. Two times in the Gospels, faith was commended. Well, this is one of the times, right? Faith is commended. Now notice what his faith is commended for. So in Luke chapter 7, verse 1, Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people. Uh, sometimes people say, um, you need to practice what you preach. Have you ever heard that? Practice what you preach. Well, that's not the case of the Lord Jesus, right? He's the opposite of that, Right? He preached, then he practiced. So he preached what he practiced. And so uh, first he preaches, and then he practices in Luke chapter 7. When he concluded all his sayings, now he goes out and lives these things out. He entered Capernaum, and a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Now notice this, then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been made sick. And so the Lord Jesus marveled at this man's faith, 
but it was in the context of him understanding the principle of being under authority, right? And so, uh, hey, he's a similar man, a Roman centurion. He would have lots of similarities to a man like Potiphar who also would understand this concept of authority. And so this principle that we often hear emphasize only those who are under authority have authority. That's a principle of Scripture. And so, uh, you know, as we think of it in the context of Luke chapter 7, uh, Luke chapter 7, the man is explaining his understanding of it to the Lord Jesus. He's saying, listen, you don't have to come all the way to my house. You know, uh, it seems the Jews didn't understand that. You know, he had friends who were Jews. He must have been a great man, this centurion. I mean, he had all these friends. Uh, they were Jews, right? I mean, that would be a feat, wouldn't it, for a Roman centurion to have Jewish friends that would be so moved by his servant's sickness to go to the Lord Jesus. He must have been a great man to win these kind of people as his friends. who would be willing to get up in the morning and... and um, and travel to the Lord Jesus to beg. It says to beg him to come. That's what the Luke tells us. They beg the Lord Jesus to come. Uh, they they recount to to the Lord Jesus how great of a man he is. He said, "Hey, listen." They said, "He's worthy of it." You know, he's taken his resources and he's built us a synagogue. Well, he's a great man. He's worth. You know, he's worth you. He's a worthy man for you to come and do this. What did he think of himself? He said, yeah, Lord, I am worthy. You know, everything they said about me is true. <laughs> That's not what he said. He said, Lord, I'm not worthy. But he said, Lord, over and beyond all of that, I know this, that I acknowledge you are a man under the authority of heaven. He says, Lord, because I understand this. When I speak, because I'm under the authority of Caesar, when I speak, it's like Rome is speaking. And so I understand this. I can see you're under the authority of heaven, so all you need to do is say the word, and it'll happen. And Lord Jesus commended him for his faith. Now, um, you know, some people think, well, maybe, maybe the Lord Jesus uh, came because they begged him. Uh, maybe he came because of his faith. You know, the Lord Jesus is interesting. Uh, over in chapter 6, his, his sermon, uh, you know, they begged him. You know what the Lord Jesus said in chapter 30 of Luke chapter 6? Give to everyone who asks you. Boy, that's a hard one, eh? My friend uh, from Morningstar he was uh he was um they just had a a conference and he's he's wrestling through these same things you know good works he said you know rob i remember way back that i used to be more involved in that and i don't know where it's disappeared in my life you know seemed to have a more understanding of the theology of scripture and and so i'm really wrestling with this so they had this conference uh month ago, um, and it was at the Bible camp, and so people were coming up and, and giving Josh money for, for, for the camp, like uh, here, you know, it was all 20s, he said, Rob, it's almost all $20 bills, and so he said, I had all this money in my pocket from people paying me for the camp, they said, let's go down and pass out tracks uh, downtown, 
Josh like, great idea. Let's go downtown and pass out tracks. So he's downtown. He said, hey, Rob, it's only 10 minutes before somebody asked me for money. And he's like, I got all this money in my pocket that people gave me. It's all 20s. Hey, have you got a couple of bucks? He's like, no, I don't. Well, he, it's true. He doesn't have a $2 toonie. But what he has is a 20. He, well, I do have some money. He says to the guy, do you have change for a 20? And the guy's like, no. He's like, okay. He said, well, Rob, it's not 10 minutes later. Somebody else is asking me before I know it. A lot of this, not all, but a lot of this money's gone. He's like, I'm wrestling with this. So I say to the young guy, he says, are you giving away 20s? He's like, well, the Bible says give to everyone who asks. And the guy says, yeah, but that's not what it means. Josh's like, okay, just a second here. I hear what you're saying. I've heard that many times. If it doesn't mean what it says, what does it mean? It's something you have to wrestle with. Years ago, I was in Mexico. And, um, you know, you're white. Everybody asks. And so I got all these ones, American ones, because you guys got all these stacks. You know how they build up, right? You know, the nice coins to keep all this stuff separate. So you got all these ones, and people are asking everywhere you go. So I'm, you know, here, here, here. And, and, um, and so one of the brothers says, hey, don't give money to everybody who asks. You know, they could all work or whatever his reason is. It doesn't matter. So I'm like, man, I don't know about that. I, 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 I'm struggling with that. And so, um, you know, this is their, they've been serving the Lord in Mexico their whole life, and this is their feeling. And so now there's another brother who's married into the family. And so uh, he lives in a town a little bit further south. And so uh, when I was down there, I said to him, hey, brother, can you, can you explain to me something? And uh, I said, you know, I really struggle with all these people asking and, you know, the, what the Bible says. And, and I know the, the, they said not to give the money because they could all work. He's like, Rob, can I tell you what I do? And please don't tell the family, the rest of the family. I said, what? He said, Rob, if I have it in my pocket, I give it to them. And he said, and I don't know what they do. They said, if I don't, I don't. But he said, I don't tell anybody else what I do. And so... I'm not saying what you should be doing. I don't say that I do it. But the Lord Jesus taught, give to everyone who asks you. Now, F.F. Bruce wrote a book, The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Maybe you've seen it. Um, When he thought about the hard sayings of Jesus, he didn't think about the sayings that were cryptic, that were hard to understand. That's not what he meant. You read through it and... uh, Hey, you know what the hard sayings of Jesus are? Hey, this is one of them. Give to everyone who asks. Hey, here's another one. Love your enemies. Do good. Uh, all these sayings. And, and, and so you, know, you read through this passage, and here's this, this man who acknowledges uh, authority. He acknowledges that the Lord Jesus is under authority. He sees the value of it. Um, the people that are around him acknowledge his greatness, and I suggest it's because he was under authority. He was in an island unto himself. He didn't do his own thing. And so he had won all these friends. I often think of, um, just in comparison before we move on, you know, this next chapter, or sorry, this next part from verse 11 on. This is a sort of a unique story that Luke puts in here. None of the other, uh, none of the other two gospel writers put it in. Um, 
It says this in verse 11, now it happened the day after. Notice this, it was the day after that he, that's Jesus, went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate, the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up, began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Um, I think it's good just as we pass through this section to think about how Luke ordered his account. Right? He talks about, in chapter 1, his account is ordered. Okay, It's in a specific order. Now, it's not uh, chronological. Right? Do you agree with that? You know, the idea that it's not chronological. Right? And that's important to, 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 to remember. Uh, because sometimes people are put off by this idea that these things are all out of order. Uh, it's not chronological. It's a spiritual order. Okay? And so... Uh, uh, he talked to eyewitnesses. He tells us that in chapter 1. He talked to eyewitnesses. So everything that he writes is accounted for. It's not impossible to think that he didn't talk to this woman. You know, uh, It would, would be impossible to believe if he ever met the widow from Nain. Tell me what Jesus did for you. She would say, I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> she would like to have talked about what Jesus did for her that day. And so uh, uh, it's been ably pointed out that that these two stories are connected together. Okay, So in the first one, the, the centurion who's under authority has all these people, right? All these people who are for him, right? They all are willing to go to the Lord Jesus and invite the Lord Jesus to come. Um, the Lord Jesus taught, give to everyone who asks. So it's not a surprise that he goes. Now the widow is the opposite of that, isn't she? Does she have any friends? Well, it seems not. I mean, he was only 25 miles away. If she had friends like the centurion had friends, they would have gone to the Lord Jesus. Hey, come and help our friend the widow. She's a good woman. She's a good woman and her son is dead. It's her only son. Please come and help. And he would have done that. But she doesn't have friends like that. So why did the Lord Jesus come? Well, notice this, verse 45 of chapter 6. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. There's a motivation for the Lord Jesus going to the widow of Nain, his own heart. So as we think about goodness, that the Lord Jesus went around doing good, hey, Luke believed that. He recorded this message that the Lord Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure of, heart, of his heart brings forth good. And so uh, I suggest that's why Luke put these two stories together. Yes, the importance, of, uh, the importance of being under authority, but that man who's under authority practices good. The Lord Jesus did it. So um, how useful is it? under authority for life. Turn to uh, John's third epistle. So we think about these ideas of under authority and 
prosperity. I've already suggested that this concept of under authority is in every page of Scripture. It's a major theme. Now, John's third epistle is written to a brother named Gaius. Uh, His assembly uh, is described in verse 9. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. And so, Gaius belonged to an assembly. Now, we know there are oftentimes problems in assemblies. But hey, the problems that assemblies have... Is that my phone? Is that your phone or my phone? Mine should be on silence. That must be embarrassing for you, eh? Everybody's thinking. Wow, we'll never really know. No, it's okay. Huh? It is, that's what, I'll, I'll take the heat for that. Yeah, it's my phone. Um, no, it is probably my phone. Well, we'll figure it out after. Um, <laughs> where was I? Okay. Uh, so Gaius is in an assembly where Diotrephes, you notice the position he's taking. Whose position is Diotrephes taking in the assembly? Well, Paul says in Colossians, you remember, that in all things, Christ may have the preeminence. So, Diotrephes is taking the place of Christ in his assembly. Man, you would think you'd have to get out of that place as fast as you could, right? Hey? Could you thrive in that environment? Well, we think this. Uh, how was Gaius doing? Hey, he was sick. He was physically sick. Uh, that's what we have in chapter or in verse two. He said, "Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers." So Gaius was experiencing prosperity of soul. He, what, his assembly wasn't healthy. You had a man who was taking the place of Christ. Now, John never, never says to uh, Gaius, you need to get out. Just like Joseph, it's interesting to me, Joseph never left Egypt. You say, well, he couldn't when he lived in Potiphar's house. I say, I agree. But, after you turn a couple of pages, could he have left? Do you think he could have left when he was second to Pharaoh? I mean, he could have, um, he could have potentially administered the kingdom from home. But he didn't. You know, Hebrews 11, in commending uh, those Old Testament saints, and Joseph is in that list, they said, although they had the opportunity, you know what they never did? They never went back. Right? You know that commendation. That they, they had the opportunity to return, but they never went back. Well, I suggest to you that was Joseph's case. He continued 
uh, to move forward. He continued to uh, acknowledge that everything that came into his life came from the Lord. You know that um, Boyd Nicholson used to use the illustration, I'm sure others did, but it was him who I heard use it, that there is nothing that comes into my life that hasn't gone over the desk of my loving Heavenly Father. And so it's this idea of being under authority, submitted to authority, and only those who are under authority have authority. You know, this is, um, uh, you know, here is in John, we say of every page of Scripture, in, in my Bible I have the third epistle of John, and then just over is the book of Jude, and... Um, Well, verse 8 of Jude says, Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, notice this, reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. You ever speak evil of those whom the Lord has placed over you? Like you love Mr. Trump, right? No, I'm not talking about President Trump. I'm talking, hey, more practically, uh, maybe the leadership the Lord has placed over us. Hey, I'm guilty of it. It happens. Uh, but it's not Christ-like. Uh, here, it's connected with the devil. Speak evil of dignitaries. Now, notice this. Uh, again, thinking of this concept of those who have authority are those who are under authority. Verse 9 of Jude, it says, Yet Michael the archangel, did he have authority? Did Michael have authority? Does he have authority? Yeah, he has authority. He has authority. Yet Michael the archangel, notice this, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, notice this, dared not bring an accusation or uh, bring against him a reviling accusation against the devil. Michael the archangel wouldn't bring a reviling accusation against the devil. Well, the reason, uh, he says... But the Lord rebuke you, right? And so uh, Michael was under authority. I say it's on every page of Scripture. Well, here's two examples. Uh, Paul uh, attributes the sin of the garden to not being submitted to authority. Remember that. Remember he talks about that. Not being under authority. You know, um, remember the illustration used of G. Campbell Morgan. Now, G. Campbell Morgan was a, you tell us, the prince of expositors, uh, a great preacher, a great commentator. There's lots of outstanding books on books of the New Testament. Uh, interestingly enough, he had four sons who were also preachers. Uh, and they said good preachers in their own right. And... Um, The story goes that one day at Sunday dinner, G. Campbell with his four boys, their families sitting at a table, a friend is over, so the brother asked the question, the oldest son, hey, who's the best preacher? The family. And the son, they said, without a moment's hesitation, said, mom, she practices what dad preaches. Right? That's what it's about, right? Not just knowing these things. Happy are you if you do them. Now, um, 
this idea, I think, of being under authority is what Paul is thinking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Right? Let's turn there. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11, now it's a passage we hear lots about, I'm sure, but I just want to add one concept to it. First Corinthians chapter 11 verse 10 says this, For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now when we say that, and use the illustration of G. Campbell, you know, that what spoke in their family with a mom practiced what dad preached. Talk about the under authority of Gabriel or of Michael and Jude. Talk about that prosperous life being under the authority in Joseph and in 3 John. The privilege here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Not to preach to, you know, 50 people that are here, but to preach to the untold hosts of heaven. People say good angels are bad. We suggest both. The privilege of by our silence proclaiming a message, right? Lives do speak. We see that's the foundation of Joseph's life. That, hey, Potiphar observed the life that he lived. There's only one place in the United States of America that acknowledges the headship of Jesus Christ. Now, sadly, it's not the government. You know that, right? You know, people say, why is the country where it's at? Why uh, we would have the same thing? Hey, maybe even a more liberal government in Canada hey, if the Lord Jesus ran for prime minister in Canada, he would not get in. You know that, right? If the Lord Jesus ran for the presidency of the United States of America, he would not get in. And so the place, the one place in the universe, the inhabited universe that acknowledges the headship of Jesus Christ is the local church. (laughs) And it's a privilege that he would allow us to somehow represent him. And, uh, of course, it's not apart from being challenged in our thinking, is it? Right? We want to be challenged in our thinking. So back, if we could, to uh, the life of Joseph. Being under authority. Um, Joseph was a man under authority. Uh, that section sort of ends at the end of verse 6. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Uh Not just appealing before the Lord, but the world acknowledged his form, his appearance. Uh, His wife, Potiphar's wife, it said, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. He has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept anything back from me but you, because you are his wife. 
How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so, you know, we need to be reminded that um, that sin is first against God and before God. You know, um, think of the illustration uh, sometimes used. Um, you know, where we come from, where we come from, uh, my son-in-law's family have a problem with alcoholism. destroys lives. You don't have any trouble believing that. Um, they often try to get medical help for it. Uh, the reason they do is because um, people call alcoholism a sickness. They think they're doing these other people a favor by doing that. And of course, when they call it a sickness, then my son-in-law's family go to the doctor and guess what? There's no treatment for it. Hey, there's nothing they can do. Uh, maybe, maybe they can get them addicted to some other drug, but there's no healing You know, let's not forget that the most benevolent being in the universe calls it sin. But that's not bad. That's good. Because um, although you can't go to a doctor to be cured for sin, you can go to the Lord Jesus Christ and you can have healing. You can have forgiveness for sin because of the cross. And so Joseph understood the seriousness of sin. Now, uh, it's interesting, isn't it, as we read through the passage, that, that the devil's first attack on Joseph, on his character, on his beautiful form, was a temptation. Not, not persecution, not tribulation. Temptation. This would be because that's how often the devil is most effective, isn't it? By temptation. Not persecution. You hear all kinds of stories in these other parts of the world where you know, the more persecution uh, it's heaped upon the church, the stronger it becomes. But this concept of temptation falling into sin. Hey, this is destroying the church in the Western Hemisphere. And um, as we said last night, we are connected to our brothers and sisters in this. Hey, you know that when a radio preacher or, sorry, a TV evangelist falls, who's, who, who names the name of Christ, falls into moral sin, that affects your testimony. Because they, the world, would think we're all the same. At some level, we are. But that ruins all of our testimony. And so we're in this thing together. And, and so the devil uses temptation in Joseph's life. Now, thankfully, he has a genuine fear of the Lord and he resists. Um, of course, we know well how uh, this story ends. Uh, Joseph, uh, his master, comes home. We already said that 
don't suggest that his master believed him, but he certainly had to save face. And so uh, it ends with Joseph. It says in verse 20, Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. Notice this, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. And so Joseph uh, rises to power in Potiphar's house because of his character. Uh, Now he's cast into prison and he rises to power again in the prison because of his character. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to read, you know, um, Harry Ironside's commentary on the book of Daniel. Um, I say most of it I don't understand. I try to work through that. But um, one of the things that he talks about that, that, that is helpful to me, you know, it's impossible to understand the book of the Re- Revelation apart from having a working knowledge of the book of Daniel. Right? I mean, we agree with that. We've heard people say, I would say, yeah, I agree with that. Not maybe necessarily understand that, but yes. have to understand the prophecies of Daniel. Understand the prophecies of Daniel before you can understand the book of the Revelation. So then Harry Ironside goes on to say, what prophecies, what prophecies are there in Daniel chapter 1? Like You can remember Daniel. I mean, you remember the stories. Sometimes it takes a bit to to bring it back to, to mind, but we think through, um, you know, the certain events in the book of Daniel. There's the famous lion's den, and I think, well, that's a bit further on. Uh, uh, chapter 1, what's chapter 1 about? Hey, well, chapter 1's about Daniel's, his friend's diet, isn't it? That's the what chapter 1 is about. That's all that happens in chapter 1. There's no prophetic nature of chapter 1 at all. It's really, as Harry Ironside points out, it's really how, how Daniel and his friends were different than everybody else. Uh, then he goes on to show that Daniel rose to power in three kingdoms, maybe four. That'd be a hard feat, don't you think? Uh, hey, the the kingdoms that he rose to power in were not friends. Right? You know that, right? That the kingdom was not given by Nebuchadnezzar to Darius. Right? How did it switch hands? Right? By bloodshed. Hey, it was an aggressive attack in the middle of the night. And and so all these things are, are going on, and yet Daniel continues to rise to power in all of these kingdoms. What was it? Well, it was the Lord with him, evidenced by the way in which he lived. Daniel lived a separated life. Right? 
uh, Harry says, what was, um, what was his motivation? Well, you have it right at the end of chapter 12. Uh, the angel says to Daniel that um, you will rise again to your inheritance. Daniel had a hope for the future, an inheritance that caused him to live different present tense. Uh, not connected with his circumstances, right? He lived beyond and above his circumstances. Maybe you've heard the story, uh, the illustration of the Christian who was down, feeling a little down. And um, the brother said, how are you doing? And he said, well, not bad under the circumstances. And the brother said, well, what are you doing under there? You don't have to be under there. We are overcomers. We are uh, seated with Christ in the heavenlies in glory. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be exalted. That was how the life of Joseph started. Now there's this process uh, in the present, this suffering. This is the uh, circumstances that, that um, are we see working out in the life of Joseph. But he's not down by the circumstances, at least not yet. Maybe there's just one little bit of a glimmer in one passage. But he continues to rise above the circumstances. Uh, say, well, how is he able to do this? Well, maybe in the language of the Apostle Paul, he, he says, you know, that these, these sufferings, these short sufferings are not worthy to be compared with what's yet to come. You know, that the fact is, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come. And so we have this opportunity, like Joseph in his life, to reflect the glory of God, but it's best reflected in and through tribulation. And so that's what happens to uh, Joseph's life. Okay, chapter 40. Let's read chapter 40 and um, just a couple of thoughts on it. Uh, it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker, the king of Egypt, defended their Lord, the king of Egypt, and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with his own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was brought, or sorry, it was as though it budded. 
Its blossoms shot forth and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former matter when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews and also I have done nothing here that they should put me in the dun- into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. He lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. We'll close with a word of prayer and then the next session we'll think through some of these things. Father, again, we're just thankful for your word. We um, ask that uh, you would, uh, by your spirit, uh, teach us, speak to us. Bless our continued fellowship together today. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.